Welcome back to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You. Today, we are going to talk about something really interesting with someone who is also very interesting. Uh, Today, we're going to talk with a gentleman named Major Williams, who is running for California State Governor. I had been contacted by several people who were sending me his profile. Hey, look at this. This is a guy for medical freedom. This is a guy for informed consent, parental choice. Look at what he has to offer. Let's get to know more about this particular gentleman. And so that's what I want to do. And I know that because you guys are the audience that responds to this kind of forward thinking, I want to make sure you're on the receiving end of this, get to know as much as you can about him so that you can support him and educate yourselves and help him on this path to the election. So Major Williams, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And it's funny, too, because I remember in my, my first conversation with you, I'm like, is that your real name? Is that what I call you? <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I, I think it's like the ultimate icebreaker because it's like the hesitation aspect of it. Then I'm like, nah, it's really my real name. <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, let's start at the beginning here. You're currently running against Gavin Newsom, OK, which is this hugely funded, should we say, current governor of California. So first, tell me. Why did you decide to run against him? That's a great question. Obviously, I'm getting that question a lot more and more on a daily basis. Um, but for me, it's a it's somewhat of a simplistic approach. Um, as a homeschooler, uh, as a charter school parent and supporter, um, I was just activated by you know bills like SB 276, uh, SB 277. Um, in addition to just watching the decline of our great state, you know, just not being held as such. And I watched families that I know, you know, have to pack up and uh, with great sadness and just move to other states uh, because they simply were just, you know, just tired of the politics. You know, they were tired of high taxes, uh, you know, just the government overreach. And Gavin Newsom at this point has pushed our state you know, to even further dismay, you know, with the um, just just with his leadership abilities or, no, or, or lack thereof. And so I just felt compelled um, to go out and give it give it my all, but it, it didn't actually start that way. I uh, I created the new governor of California committee uh, several months ago uh, in, in with the intent of finding someone who aligned with my beliefs and the parents and families that I know. And after two or three months of trying to vet and speak with and have those conversations with individuals, uh, 90% of the conversations end up with everyone pointing at me uh, saying that you should run. And I shared this story yesterday in San Diego at the recall Gavin Newsom rally. I was just letting them know how I actually came into fruition one night. A lot of times when I have difficult decisions or I'm going through certain obstacles, uh, rest his soul, my grandfather, LJ Dean, he comes to me, you know, in, in my dreams. He's a man of not many words at all. Um, but he basically came to me in a dream and he said, step up. I woke up in a cold sweat. I woke my wife up immediately and I told her what happened. Uh, immediately, she took my hands and she prayed with me. And once we you know, opened our eyes and locked on to each other, she said, if this was you, it is what you're called to do, uh, you have to do it. And I think a lot of people have kind of come to that place where, especially lately, that the advice has been get involved in local city yeah. and state uh leadership positions in politics to make changes. So instead of right. being on the periphery and kind of complaining about it, and I know you had mentioned you had started attending these city council meetings and you've got residents right. that are complaining about what's going on and, and discussing what's going on in their communities. But a lot of times these people who are in leadership positions are not really members of these com- these communities. They're not really intertwined. So For sure. It's like they don't really know what's needed. They don't really know how to communicate to these communities. And that is the advantage of people coming out of these communities to rise to leadership because right. I agree. They're, they're taking that accountability and they're taking that experience, that first world experience to actually make a change. I will admit I was a liberal my whole life up until a certain <laughs> recent point. Uh, most people know this about me. For and sure. I, I went to a, a congressman's breakfast um, a couple months back, and he's a Republican. And that's just, you know, Republicans were really not something I necessarily aligned with before the medical right. freedom issue. But he made such an interesting point. And he said, of course, there should be term limits on politicians because we have too many career politicians. 
And I agree. the idea should be that you work in some level of business and you bring that skill set to the legislature and you bring that experience to the legislature. And he said, what's happening now, though, is you have people that get into politics really young, like Gavin Newsom, who right. essentially has done nothing except for being in politics, a career politician, and how dangerous that is because you lose perspective and you lose that being in touch with the community. Yeah, the connection. Yep. And it made a lot of sense when he said that, that, you know, if, if you're a businessman, if you're a doctor, if whatever the thing that, that you do, that you go out and do that in your world for a period of time, you gain experience and understanding, and then you bring that into politics for a limited period of time. And then somebody else comes in and, and does the same. But that's not what we're seeing, especially in California, the California legislature, which, of course, is a very Democratic majority. Right. Now, you are a conservative and a Republican who yes. is also a member of the black community. And I have seen this now as a source of debate for a lot of people, especially right now. So I want to know, how did you find yourself aligning with conservative views? And what has your response been from other members of the black community? Because being a black conservative is the minority political stance as it relates to the community. For, for sure. It, it definitely is one of those uh, things like you're the unicorn, so to speak. But, you know, just being black, like, like you said, and conservative and Republican, it comes with a lot of misinformation sometimes, even within the black uh, community. You know, I live by a certain criteria in my life, uh, which is God, family, country and self-accountability. Uh, that in itself, you know, for me, it was a, like a, it was a roadmap uh, to my awakening, so to speak. I've been a conservative or a registered Republican for the last three and a half years. Uh, I had the opportunity to work on a campaign some years back through my marketing firm. And it was a gentleman or a friend of mine, I should say, that I've been knowing for a good seven, eight, nine years. Um, and he ran for the first time for lieutenant governor of California. And, you know, during that process, at the beginning aspect of it, he was like, well, you know, I'm Republican and we've never talked politics before. And I wasn't really uh, politically active up until four years ago. And he just we just I just started getting more informed, um, you know, about the policies and, you know, as far as the Democrats, how detrimental some of those policies have been for decades in our communities. And then you just have an opportunity to, like, look at your past and some of the decisions and some of the uh, the policies that you feel like has the, affected you directly. And I was like, wow, this really wasn't a good place for me to be. So why was I in that particular space for so long? And it's just by default, you know, your great grandmother, your grandfather, your mother, everyone is just Democrat just by default. And the Democrats have been in a space to where, because they've been able to market free so well through the welfare program, uh, they just basically just um, had everyone caught up in their rapture for so long. And that wasn't what I wanted to be. That's, you know, I didn't want to be a victim. You know, I wanted to figure out how to be accountable for the success I wanted, make better decisions and have the type of life that my imagination told me that I wanted versus what they was offering me. And so when I'm talking to the black community, you know, I just lay it out very simplistically. You know, uh, do you want me to be a person that's giving you something or do you want me to show you how to make it on your own? And then you can tell your cousin, your friend, et cetera, and it can continue on. And you can build legacy. And that's one of the, you know, one of the main parts why I'm so, you know, happy in this space to be able to share and to educate people at the end of the day, because that's what's truly what's needed. And plus, you know, I'm all Second Amendment. I love to hunt. You know, I love God. You know, I love my freedom and low taxes, you know, so it just makes sense to me. And just, you know, as a politician or just a regular everyday person, being a black conservative, you just have to, you know, Touch, touch on certain things that educate others who are misinformed on what uh, that really entails. So, But this wasn't always, this wasn't always the way that you were, right? You basically, like you said, you grew up kind of with a different belief system. We'll go into that a little bit later, but you grew up yep. with a different belief system about yep. who the black community was and who was able to help that community or which political party was an ally to that community, so to speak. Right, because they framed it so well. You know, if a, if, if the if the conversation is this party, which is the Republican Party, is full of KKKs and they're racist, and then you have the Democrats, oh, they gave us welfare. Oh, they give us this free. They give us this free. And so being influential and by default, the people that you're around, the households that you come up in, 
you feel like, oh, those are the people that are for you. But as you are able to pull back the layers, the real conversation is about empowerment. And that's what's different about me and my leadership. I'm about empowerment. And I feel like the Republican Party is about empowerment, empowerment and self-accountability. That could allow you the leverage to create the lifestyle that you want for yourself, whether it be with health or whatever the case may be. You know, so it's just it's a different perspective. And that's what we continue to try to educate uh, voters on and people that are on the, on the fence, independent, whoever they are. And I don't really make my a bag out of trying to convert people. It's just about choosing the right candidate for your issues and for our state. Well, and it's interesting too. So this issue of the individual versus the collective has come up in many discussions I've had with black conservatives. And this is not something I had really ever thought about either, that Mm -hmm. the Republican platform or the conservative platform is a lot about individual responsibility and accountability. And like you said, creating the life that you want and not having the government too involved in that. And the Democrat philosophy is more about the collective. But usually what happens when it's all about the collective is I feel like a lot of times the members of that collective aren't actually being served. For sure. It's almost like it's ideological. We're we're helping. We're helping this group. We're helping these people. But it's not there's no real proof of the actual help. And and I'm a big believer. You and I talked about this briefly. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. And if if you claim for yourself early on in life that you are part of a group that will never attain something and that's just the way that it is. And like you said, that's by default. Right. That uh, absolutely. it will create your experience based on the, the limitations you have set for yourself, but subconsciously or unknowingly or indirectly based on the society view of who they think you should be or where right. they think you stack up. Right. Which is dangerous, of course, because that's going to keep you in a low. It's going to keep you at a certain place. And and I hear people say a lot of times about Republicans, they don't represent black people. And I fully understand visually when you see gatherings with Republicans, you do see a lot of white people. I mean, that's just, right. that's a fact. Right. But does that mean that those policies are actually detrimental to the black community? I think that's another conversation entirely that I don't think anybody's really having. Well, the conversation is to applaud Democrats for great marketing. It's not that it's not like a lot of black people are part of the Republican Party, because there are. There are a lot of closet Republicans that don't want to come out. So when they go into that voting booth, they do vote Republican, but they're not going to walk around uh, holding that flag proudly because they're going to be ostracized by their households and their communities. So although you may see those rallies or certain events where it's mostly white, uh, there is a strong, solid majority that does exist, and it's getting bigger uh, by the day because of vocal voices like myself and others that are coming out there, putting our chest out and say, this is who we are. This is what we stand. Vote for us, not because of just what you know of or what you feel like you know about the party, but what is it about me that you don't like? Or what is it about me that you do like? Let's, th- let's make that the foundation and let's build collectively together on that premise alone, period. And that's what the conversation should be about beyond the political parties and divisiveness. And do you think with more time in the same direction that you're talking about, that you will see that silent majority that is being quiet come forward in the black community and be comfortable being able to talk about the fact that they are believers in this, you know, conservative ideals or family values. And you might not like Trump, but that has really nothing to do with what your belief system is. Everybody seems to like Instantly, if you say something bad about Biden, then they're like, oh, my God, Trump is X, Y and Z. I'm like, I'm not even talking about Trump. For sure. Like, I haven't even mentioned the dude. You can support him or not support him, but that shouldn't change the reality of actual data and evidence of what belief system will have the greatest chance of success. Or even policies that have been enacted and, and that we all can benefit from as far as when you say you know, it's not about him. It could be about, you know, how you live morally. And I'm saying it's also about the policies that have been in place. Instead of worrying about the individual, it's more so about let's identify these policies that has been beneficial versus detrimental, which we can have. We have a long laundry list to be able to pick and choose what the Democrats have done when it comes to detrimental policy. Uh, With this president, three and a half years, Um, He's done so much in such a short amount of time when it comes to policy. 
Now, you may not like his tweeting. You may He may right. not be the best messenger to you or whatever the case may be. But OK, that's great. Uh, that's emotional. But let's talk about the foundation of the facts and also the policy and the data from that in regards to how it works. You know, low job unemployment, $60 million given to HBCU black colleges when Obama blocked that fund. You know, so it's so much that has been done in a short amount of time, prison reform. And I was one of the lucky people to have the opportunity to go and lobby at Congress uh, for that, for that to be able to happen. Uh, So there's so much that we could, you know, hang our hats on from a positive standpoint through policy. Uh, that we just need to do a better job. So to answer your question, I believe I am going to bring a lot of those people out because for once, I'll be a part of a bigger majority. California is an entire state. You know, I ran a mayoral race and that was more centralized, 180,000 people, only 80,000 voters. But we're talking about a collective of 40 million people and that's millions of voters that are going to be highly motivated and active. And so my background is in marketing. So now I'm going to take a page out of the successful Democrat book when it comes to marketing. I'm going to make sure I put forth effort to market to those individuals and communities in a very simplistic way. So they can understand, you know, who is truly for them, especially here in our state. And so before we start talking about Governor Newsom and kind of what he's been doing lately, have you been called out or received negative backlash at all for your views, the conservative views? Have you been called names by others in the black community? Have you been labeled or considered a traitor or considered somebody who's on the wrong side of things for speaking out about this? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, during my uh, mayoral run in Pasadena, I was called so much. uh, But the irony of it is I received so much uh, love from the Asian community, uh, from the Hispanic community, uh, from the white community here as well. Uh, The biggest pushback that I got from 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 here was from the black community. Um, And for me, it was it was puzzling because it had nothing to do with me, just like we just said. It was only because of what they felt about President Trump. You know, it it was puzzling because I had all these great ideals and solutions to their problems. And it was all derived through uh, the process of empowering people. Mm -hmm. You know, we were selecting the same individuals over and over again, expecting different results. We already know that's called insanity. So you need to get a new brand of leadership that's about empowering you, giving you economic equity in this in city. So now I'd be able to take that brand of leadership on a statewide level and expeditionally help a lot more people. So yes, I got called every name under the sun, but because I'm, you know, I'm a competitive person. I came up in sports. I grew up in a big family. I'm used to being called names. That's okay with me. I know a lot of times it has nothing to do with me. It's something that they personally feel about themselves uh, or they're just misinformed. And like you're saying, they were literally skipping right past the actual platform you wanted to discuss and going right to how could you support a president like the one we have. You're, you're saying that you like Trump and you're like, what does this have to do with him? I'm talking about what I want to do, what I want to do sure. in the community, what I want to do with the state, what I believe and how I can help you and us as a collective move forward. Right. Exactly. And I want to be able to even during this campaign, I want to be able to highlight some of those instances. And I think a lot of people are really upset with Gavin Newsom right now for a variety of reasons. I know one of the reasons I became connected to him was um, him passing SB 276 in the fall, basically limiting medical exemptions, legitimate medical exemptions, uh, limiting them to only anaphylactic shock and severe brain damage. And of course, only for that one vaccine. And so I was part of the process and trying to fight that and he had the ability to veto it. But of course, he didn't. I was actually told from a direct meeting with him that his words were, this goes far above me. I disagree with this, but this goes far above me. And if that doesn't tell you just how deeply rooted industry and other positions of power are in the laws that are made, then people are not paying attention. And this is really concerning. And so since that time, we've had the entire coronavirus pandemic disaster situation. And a lot of people have been really unhappy with how Gavin Newsom has handled it, mostly because... He never actually quotes the science that he uses, and he uses the word science to rationalize these what many call draconian measures as it relates to lockdowns, putting millions and millions of Californians out of work, out of their savings, out of their retirements, without jobs, many, you know, increased depressions. We have increased abuse, increased suicides. The city of L.A. alone had a 50 percent unemployment rate. 
Right. And we have this governor telling people to continue the lockdown when we don't have the data that says it's necessary. And he's making these executive orders because we're in a time of declared state of emergency. He's getting this unchecked power that does not have to be voted on through our state legislature. Even our own California legislators are unhappy about that. They see he's changing laws and making these executive orders and he's gone power hungry. So a lot of people are very unhappy with Gavin Newsom. What do you think, what are your thoughts on how he's handled everything and where he's gone too far? I mean, honestly, Gavin Newsom and similar leadership in power, you know, now believe governing base is based upon only their singular ideals. And they think that's what California needs. You know, me personally, I've spent a lot of time over the last three years talking to voters all over our state and in unison. It's like you said, they are not happy. And uh, politically, you know, this pandemic, it actually highlighted more, more than, you know, even I would have thought because it shows the the lack of leadership and decision making when it comes to understanding the gravity of how things are being affected on the ground with, with our small business owners, uh, with our gig community. You know, so many people are suffering and you know, if we are going about science, uh, going about it by looking at science, we should look at the data. We should look at the high recovery rate. We should look at the uh, the fatality or the morality rate in regards to who's actually passing away from this disease. We've never once said that it wasn't real. We just said it wasn't as big of a threat to shut our entire economy down and change the financial economic dynamic of our entire state. Mm-hmm. And especially for the lengthy amount of time. And then you go behind, um, you know, closed doors and not give the description of spending a billion dollars. You're writing these blank texts and you're changing laws without any consideration of, um, you know, talking to any of the legislators, whatever. It just shows his brand uh, of leadership. And I think it's been very poor. And it's one of the things that pushed me even more so to come out and be a champion for us. I'm, you know, my voice is just one voice, but I'm collectively speaking for millions of people that are frustrated right now. And it doesn't matter what side of the out of their own. People are, are, are genuinely uh, frustrated. And, and I want to make sure that they know that they have a champion that's going to go in here and really fight to make sure that we restore our state. Well, and I think a lot of people have been paying attention to this uh, fiscal situation in California. We've been under... Uh, as it relates to our finances for years now, uh, severe debt in California. We have this crazy homelessness crisis all over the state. Poverty, this is not something California had the money to deal with, but then all of the sudden this happens and they're paying people's mortgages to stay home. And all of the sudden they're adding stimulus bonuses onto unemployment. Where is this money even coming from? If we're not able to help the homeless that are already on our streets and have been there for months and years, primarily affecting people of color, by the way, where, where is the money coming from to encourage people to tolerate the policies that he's doing? Because then what does he do? He creates the Western States Pact, and then he asks the Fed for more money. He wants the $3 trillion because we're in an economic crisis. No crap, Gavin. Why do you think we're in that crisis? I mean, it's, exactly. it is unreal to me that he can get on a daily press briefing, by the way, with his perfect haircut that he wasn't supposed to be getting during quarantine. He's got his perfect haircut and his smile. And he's sitting there saying, you need to stay home and meet this moment. You know, his favorite phrase, which I just can't stand. You need to meet this moment and you need to do your part. And he's putting people into financial stress and then he's asking for bailout in the process. And there's so much to this that feels like it is the behind the closed door situation, that this is not, he's not telling people anything. He's using people and using the situation to somehow push another agenda. It feels like it's very clear to me. I think you're right that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle have right. been unhappy with him. And this is probably the best time to right. offer something new and offer some different type of leadership that makes more logical sense. Because I think there was really no logic in these last several months with Gavin Newsom. Right. And the thing about it, too, even if he was descriptive about what he was doing, at least he was he shared that that information at this point. They're not even sharing any information. So it's just kind of like, you know, this is what's going on. That's what I've chosen to do, because this is what I think 
or what I know that's best for you as if we're kids, you know, mm -hmm. and all the extra money that's spent. Think about all the extra money that's spent on like all this signage that we have over here, like a signage to wash your hands as mm -hmm. if we can't get the memo to wash our hands and just wash it versus spending, you know, 400 grand on signs all over the state to tell you to wash your hands. These are the type of decisions that are going on without our consent. And it's it's been out of it's been taken out of our uh, taxes. And, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people just or just are not OK with that. Huh? And I'm one of those people. I am too. So I want to know and I want people to know a little bit about your background because there's something really cool to me about having a really diverse background as far as where you come from and how your beliefs change over time and why we come to the conclusions that we do, why do we come to the belief system that we do. And I think it all comes from our history and our experience. And that makes us better equipped to one, understand the communities that we serve and two, have a more objective opinion to be able to make policy decisions that can uh, positively help the most amount of people possible. So tell me a little bit about your background, where you came from, and kind of what led you here. Sure. Well, originally, I was born in, uh, born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so uh, that's where my roots are. Um, grew up in a single parent household on welfare uh, with my three sisters living in a small two bedroom house. You know, I enjoy, you know, I enjoyed school. I played sports uh, like many other kids in my community. Uh, I left Dallas in 1995 uh, going to college. I went to Trinity Valley, Trinity Valley Community College, which is uh, in Athens, Texas. And I stayed there for a year. And then I went on to Louisiana Tech University where I studied uh, business and marketing. Uh, from there, you know, I actually finished my, finished my uh, college basketball career at Eastfield College, which is in Mesquite, Texas. And then from there, I went to to, uh, to California. I uh, came on a visit and ended up loving it and um, been here 20 years. And, you know, I used my background to um, to get me into certain places. But when I first got here, I was um, I was privileged to meet a, a man by the name of Ian Hunter, which ended up being a great mentor of mine. And he was the chairman of Erickson Mental Health uh, Facility in Van Nuys, California. And I worked in the mental health facility uh, industry and nonprofit sector for a good six, six, six and a half years. And it gave me an opportunity to learn the nuances of the mental health industry. There's a lot of things that uh, were, were good, but there are also a lot of things that, that were really bad uh, for the function of how we support uh, these young uh, young youth that are looking to transition into uh, adulthood. But I was able to to pull so much uh, great information and knowledge from that, which propelled me to start a nonprofit as well. Um, but, you know, once more, just taking back a little bit, being being young and excited, I also had other aspirations and other pa uh, other passions. Uh, you know, at one point when I was 14, I wanted to be a pastor. Um, and the main reason people ask me why I said, because I used to like how the pastor made people feel good. That makes sense. I always wanted to add value or either make people laugh or, or, or complete something with someone in collaboration uh, to, to help them feel you know better about themselves. Um, I was an avid mu music fan. I played the violin, the clarinet. I sung in the choir. Uh, I even did rap music for a, a certain stint and produced music. Uh, you know, I've got I was in entertainment and all these different things. But, uh, you know, I went my wife. I met her the third day I moved to um, to California. So 20 years in with three, three lovely boys. And, you know, like I say, it all came to to a head, you know, five, four, four years ago when, you know, my life was in a place to where I really wanted to figure out what would be next for me as far as legacy and how can I add the most value. Uh, which is why I got really heavy into my nonprofit, which is called Major Kicks for Kids. On the surface, we give away a thousand pair of shoes a year or we try to. Uh, but that's just on the surface, the resources really to be able to connect with the youth. Because, you know, I remember how I felt when I first got my first pair of uh, uh, shoes or new pair of shoes or haircut. It made me feel really good. So I want to capture that emotion and, and do it all over the world with different kids, but also be able to be that mentor and have other allies associated with me to be mentors to help them foster their dreams, their goals, ambitions, and desires. And I and I strongly do that because I wish I would have had someone for me at those ages 
uh, in those certain moments in my life uh, that would have done that for me because I consider myself a late bloomer. You know, I wasn't politically active. I wasn't on any debate teams. I was just a guy that played sports that just listened to his mother, you know, tell me to come home early. And so to be doing everything I'm doing now, so out of body experience the last four and a half, five years being politically active, running my nonprofit and raising my kids as far as homeschooling. And I couldn't be um, in, in the most secure and happiest place being a black conservative Republican, uh, meeting so many great other like minds and people even like yourself. You know, so I'm, I'm blessed. I'm charged up. I'm motivated. Uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. And I don't think it's impossible. Uh, I know for a fact it's very possible. We are a strong, solid majority. Um, and, you know, the time is this is the season for it to actually happen. So I'm looking forward to it. And then back a little bit to your background, you said you grew up in a situation where your mother had gone to prison twice and you were kind of sent to different family members throughout that time, which is many people would say is a very unstable circumstance. And of course, not ideal. You're a dad now. So you understand like how much you probably strive to keep their routine and their stability because it's so important to children. And you grew up in that situation. Your mom was on welfare. When we talked the other day, you said that policy, which again is a Democrat created policy, the policy of welfare, you said, was something that creates dependency and strips ambition. And you yep. feel like you saw that kind of firsthand. Can you tell me a little more about that? Absolutely. I, I felt that way 100 percent. But the, the thing about it, when you are a part of it, when you're in it, you don't necessarily see it. You know, it's just like addiction when you're when you're in an addictive um, state. But when you when you when you are sober and you're clean, and you're able to reflect and you're able to look back, you were like, wow, that was really detrimental. That was very damaging. And so I was able to look at how detrimental that uh, that makeup of how I grew up with my mother. And, you know, we always talk about it. And, I, you know, I always tell her I apologize because I use her as an example so much. But her example is one of the things that prompted me to want change, uh, you know, 10 years ago, uh, who I am today started only 10 years ago. I haven't been this person that you're on the phone with now that everyone is saying now that everyone is championing for and supporting. I had to work my butt off uh, to evolve into the man that I've become today. And it started 10 years ago with two years at the beginning, staying in the public library for two years, every single day, learning about an array of things, reading Donald Trump's books, reading finance, economics, um, you know, credit, real estate, and just so I can be of value for myself and my family, but even more so, so I can go out into the world and be of value to other people. And so, yes, it, you know, I had to reboot because, you know, I call myself a late bloomer, you know, having that kind of environment is uh, it's it's damaging to any kid, you know, but thank God, you know, I was able to to find a place to where I made the decision to want more for myself and want something different. And I put the work ethic into it uh, to foster that and nurture that. And in time, you know, you, you start you start to see those small victories and then you start to, you know, get the confidence in yourself. And it's a little unorthodox. It's a little uncomfortable being accountable all the time and and, and, and being responsible all the time. Uh, but that's what you're supposed to do. And that's how it should be for you. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the past that I had because it, it built me up to the person I am today. But I don't want that for everyone. I don't want these young boys and girls to be late bloomers when they can have leadership in front of them now that's giving them the right tools and information for them to take advantage of their full abilities right now, which is what I do with my kids, um, you know, on a daily basis. When you meet my sons, which I'm sure you will, I just want you to randomly ask them five things that they know about themselves. Without hesitation, they're going to tell you I'm smart, I'm loved, I'm special, I'm strong and I'm powerful. Those are the type of things that I share with my family and I want to share with our younger generation and I want to empower our community and get our state back to where it needs to be. And you're right. You know, I think sometimes bringing up examples from the past, everybody wants to assume that that's highlighting the negative. But how do you find solutions for the future without acknowledging where things went wrong or they could have gone in a different direction? I mean, a lot of like what you're saying, a lot of what we struggle with in our past makes us who we are makes us strong, makes us resilient. And without that struggle, we would not have been in the position that we were to kind of overcome the obstacles to have that strength to take on things like this. But I think your mother's story 
is not to shame your mother in any way. And again, we're kind of in this shame culture right now where if you say one bad thing about anything, then people assume you're just, you know, you're attacking that person. But it's not about that. It's about, you said she was in a welfare uh, program for 20 years. Right. And how is that even possible? You know, that's what I started thinking about. Like, how can you allow a person to be on the web for, for 20 years? Right. So where's the incentive? Where's the motivation? Because the Democrats is not giving it to them. And so they're not going to naturally have it. They're going to take advantage of free. And so that's why I use that parallel also oftentimes because it's the enabler, as you said. And it's, it's just not a fair predicament for anyone uh, that's trying to aspire to do more for themselves. And I think some would maybe wonder if that's by design. Oh, it, it feels like it 100%. <laughs> because if you don't want to give people the tools and empower them to do better for themselves, it's almost like you don't want them to be successful. You'd rather them be dependent. And I think a lot of people that are critical of Democrats feel that. When they're dependent upon you, you can own their votes. 100%. And I've heard the same thing multiple times is that that's how they kind of keep you with this conditional relationship. It's right. almost like that. I've had one, um, one of my friends, Bevelyn spoke about, it's almost like an abuser or almost akin to a pimp relationship where it's like, you owe me because I'm giving you this. So therefore, you are responsible to me and you must give me repay me. And the way you do that is with your votes. Exactly. And keep the black man out of your house. That's another that's another thing that they did um, that was very detrimental to the black community. And that's one of the things I explain. You're talking about the father of the household, right? Yes, right. absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I've heard that same thing also oftentimes and how that was connected to the welfare policies of the 60s. Yeah, they would actually come and check your house. They used to come and check our house to make sure that there wasn't a man a father living in her house. And I think they've almost, it's almost quadrupled the number of single parent households with a female running the household in the black community. It's almost quadrupled from what it was in the 60s. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right about that. Which is also, it's really scary because you, you want to look at, you know, what's the party of that particular community? You have to look at what's being actually done to help and facilitate success. So I'm really supportive of how your goal, not just for your own children, but for you know, who you want to serve is how can I empower you? How can I help you to do better? How can I help you to find success? Because when you have success, I'm more successful because we all benefit from success. Right. And that was one of the things that I was talking about on my campaign when I was running for mayor. Um, you know, I went around the entire city. I said, there is no 14 year old boy or girl or 17 year old boy or girl that could share a story about anyone in leadership in here on how they became successful. So they can copy and paste or be inspired or motivated by their story to go out and make their own version of their success in their life. And I just thought to me, from a leadership perspective, in the new era that we live in, the brand of leadership from the actual leaders need to be more empowering through different tools, through different messaging and sharing their stories. They don't seek to inspire or motivate anyone. They just are. They just exist. And that brand of leadership has to change. And I really like what you said about you don't want the young people coming up in any community of any race to feel right. like they need to be a late bloomer. They shouldn't have to go through 20 years of struggling before they figure it out. Because what, exactly. how amazing would it be if they were able to understand the power at their fingertips while right. they're teenagers? Before right. they get into their young adult life, they'll be making better choices. They'll be more accountable for their choices. They will be doing less damage as a result. Exactly. They'll be suffering less. You know, going yeah. through less pain. No, perfect example. And not to cut you off, perfect example. Uh, my nine-year-old son, his name is Kahlo. Two years ago, um, you know, my son, he, he wasn't really high on fashion as far as tennis shoes or whatnot. Uh, he went on a few play dates and some of his friends had some fashionable shoes, right? And he came home and he wanted a pair of Jordans. And instantly I saw a, a teaching moment and opportunity. I said, listen, I'm going to buy you these Jordans, but we're also going to go online on, on this stock app. Where we're going to buy you stocks in Jordans. So now he owns stocks in Jordans and in Nike. And now I told him that if you play it smart, you will never have to buy a pair of Jordans again. You know why? Because you get dividends. 
You use your dividends to buy your Jordans because you own shares. So now, and this is the funny part, we had a birthday party last year, and I see him talking with a group of his buddies, and they're talking about buying shares. And they were eight years old, talking about having these conversations about shares. <laughs> and that just goes to show you, it's the tools that they are given and how they move forward with that. And if the tools end up being the message that you will never amount to anything, there is no future for you, really. You're never going to get past this point. You're destined to become this. If that is the only conversation that's happening. And, 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 the, and that is everybody else's fault but yours. And, and I think there's a lot to that. And that goes, again, this is not a race-specific discussion. This goes for anybody because I find a lot, a lot of the... Um, conditions for many people have to do with wealth, right? You grow up in a poor community, no matter what race you are, things right. are not handed to you. You can either accept that that is your lot in life, so to speak, or you can work yourself up and get to a place. There are so many stories of people who have done that come from nothing and worked themselves up. So it goes to show you that it's possible for anyone, as long as you don't feel like, I don't want to use the word victimized because you know, that, that, that's really something used a lot right now in race relations. And I don't want to make it seem like, you know, people in the black community have not been victims of things because I 100% I feel that they have. And uh, so not so much victimization, but if you feel like you said, everybody else, it's everybody else's fault that right. you're in the state that you are. And that it, I mean, it's like this, right? Everybody comes from a childhood with some type of trauma, some For type sure. of struggle. You can either be the person who acknowledges that trauma and works to become different and better as a result, or you can become somebody who repeats the patterns and cycles and says, it's not my fault. This is how I was traumatized as a child. We all have that choice. You either right. choose a victim mentality or you choose to have accountability and have conscious creation for where you go in the future. That's for anybody on anything because we all suffer from something. We were all abandoned, left, uh, not really noticed or there, there's there's always something from our childhood or if you had well-off parents but they worked a lot so you didn't have your parents there all those things are affect people in different ways and kids in different ways so everyone is dealing with something psychologically oh, for sure. and, and emotionally and they deal with it and process it differently you know no different than a person that's you know in, in a you know well-off condition versus someone that's in an underserved condition it's, it's all attached to a psychological engagement. And, and, and you're right. Everyone goes through something. And I'm a big believer that all humans around the globe basically all feel the same six or seven emotions. So it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what your specific history looks like. We all can connect with each other on the fact that we've all experienced the same emotions. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And like you're saying, that abandonment, whether your parents are very wealthy and had no time for you or whether you grew up without a father, it's the same feeling. It's the feeling of not being good enough, not being important, not mattering to somebody. And right. those feelings build and shape who you are, and they can absolutely limit what you can create in your life without good leadership or mentorship or examples around you to say, no, you can choose to let that go and build from here. You can have any life that you want to. Again, it doesn't have to mean millions of dollars because money doesn't make happiness. We know that. Um, right. But you want to have fulfillment. You want to have That's happiness true. and fulfillment. And you doing what you're doing as far as believing in that empowerment and modeling that empowerment gives people a leg up. I really like the fact that you want people in the youth to see that now. Don't wait until you're 30 and 40 and 50 years old to, to get exactly. there. Get there now. I think that's a really admirable aspect of your belief system. No, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And so obviously, uh, with everything going on right now, it's a super turbulent time. There's a lot going on on many different ways. And I think with the lockdowns, everybody is just emotionally charged up and um it's been really difficult and then we had the george floyd murder and we had that situation there's a lot of tension we have tension now not just between different members and races in the community but we have tension between law enforcement now and citizens and this is one of the most turbulent times i ever remember of my lifetime and there's a lot going on right now so moving forward what do you think especially in these times, what do you think are the things that we can kind of look to to make positive changes and get out of this in a good way where we can look back and say we made the best of it and moved forward and progressed? 
I mean, first, you know, change would come from simply changing of the guard and leadership. You know, that's something that most definitely has to happen. Uh, second is having leadership that governs with duality um, and with the intent of not sinking our state into the ocean, you know. Um, and also our citizens, you know, they need to know that if there is a fight to be had, that you have to go in it with someone who can understand your plights, can understand your perspective, and actually, you know, at some capacity comes from where you're coming from in regards to the agreements of, you know, like bills like AB5, SB276, and SB277, et cetera. And those are some of the bills, um, you know, I look forward to attacking my first 100 days in office. Uh, but we are um, a great state with a lot of great people. And I, uh, and I think certain things happen, even though it's tough right now, I think certain things happen for a certain reason because you know, the old analogy of when you pushed in the corner, you only have one really option. Uh, it's two options. You can fold or you can you can keep swinging and protect yourself and, and continue fighting. And so, you know, leadership, having good ideals to solutions for our state uh, to remedy our homeless issue, uh, to galvanize and bring people collectively together to know that we are going to work on lowering taxes here uh, in the great state of California, uh, to let them know they have leadership that supports our uh, Second Amendments, uh, Second Rights Amendments. Ultimately, we just really want to try to find uh, a middle ground. We're, we're so uh, far off the grid that we have to find at least a center which gives us a solid foundation to work our way back up to, to, to really look like the city that we've all imagined and we've all enjoyed at, at some point. I've been here 20 years and I know for a fact when I first got here, uh, it wasn't at this state, but it was actually probably on the cusp of getting to where we are now. And so the, the type of brand of leadership we need right now is just, you know, we have to stick together. We have to uh, make sure that we come out and vote and we have to make sure that we are active behind candidates like myself uh, because the Democrats are very strong. Gavin Newsom, he's very uh, strong in regards to the support that he has. We all know that. Um, but if you are if you're going to continue to be one of those people that's, as you said earlier, that are on the sideline having those frustrations and complaints, but yet you're not going to get out there and do the action behind it, then it, it kind of allows you, or it should say that you should be quiet or just move or just deal with it. I don't want to be that person. I'm tired of sitting on the sideline. Uh, I'm tired of being frustrated and complaining. And so that's why I decided to put my name in a hat in support of everything that we stand for moving forward. And we need that type of leadership here in California. Okay. And so last two things, where can people find you on social media so that they can follow you? Absolutely. So on Instagram and also Twitter, it's pretty simple. You can find me at uh, Major Candidate, Major Candidate on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook, it's simply Major Williams, and the new web page will be up by Friday, and I believe it's going to be newcagovernor.com, if not majorforgovernor.com. Okay. And then also, um, so people are listening, we're going to do a Facebook Live maybe in the next okay. couple of weeks, you and I, um, so that they can have a chance to ask you some questions. I'll and try sure. to make sure that this airs first so they can know a little bit about you. And and I want to let them know, too, right now we have NewCaliforniaGovernor.com that is active. And if you want to support at any capacity, whether you want to register to be a, a monthly ambassador, uh, supporting the campaign with $8.50 every month, that'd be fantastic. But there's also a donate button on there as well. If you want to make a one-time donation, just understand that it goes for the operations and the marketing that we're doing on a daily basis. We have two years to campaign, which means I have to canvas an entire state multiple times over and exhaust myself, but I can't do it without everyone's support and everyone pitching in. So I would greatly appreciate it if you know, ambassadors came on board and, and, and donors came on board at whatever percentage, you know, one dollar, twenty dollars. Uh, but with millions of people coming out, our campaign can be fully funded. And that was going to be my next question, kind of what kind of support you're looking for or how can people step up to help? Um, and that's part of it. I'm sure another part of it is sharing your stuff on social media yes. so people are aware of you and talking to their circles. Yeah. And, and, and even hosting, you know, meeting greets, you know, I'm open to come anywhere in California and, and meet with you and your community members and uh, residents in your in your district and, and in your region. 
you know, just send us an email at newcaliforniagovernor.com. And uh, either Nicole or Heidi, which are my um, staff that we have that are controlling everything, they're going to follow up with you. We're going to put it on the calendar and we're going to show up. So if you want to host a meet and greet for you know, my candidacy, I would love to come and attend and share. Perfect. And uh, hopefully there'll be one local to me where I can come out and meet you and we can maybe do a Facebook Live just quickly then to let everybody know what you're doing. But also let's try to do one where we can talk about a few issues and have people write some questions to you in the next couple of weeks. I know that you're kind of gearing up. Things are getting busier and busier, but glad to get kind of a basis and a foundation about you out so that people have the ability to learn more about you. They can understand how to support you and what you stand for. And um, thank you again for doing this and giving me your time and uh, answering the questions, personal and professional, because I think it's important to go deeper than just the superficial stuff. People want to know, not just in politics. I do this with everything, by the way. For sure. I enjoy that part of it because I feel like that's how we connect with people. And when people do feel like they're connecting with you, they're gonna, a lot more likely to want to be invested in you, not just financially, but just you know personally invested in you. I agree. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for this today. And we will move forward with another interview in the future um, on Facebook Live or Instagram Live where people can see you and reach out to you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you uh, your platform and whoever's listening to this. This is a, you know, a everyday, a everyday mission to, to get my voice out there, to get what we stand for. Uh, to galvanize people, you know, to let them know that we need them with us because this is going to be a, a tough fight, but it's going to be possible with everyone being on board. That's awesome. Well, thank you again so much and um, love to your family and everything. And I hope that your support is going to keep increasing over these next weeks and months. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more in the future. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Melissa. Enjoy the rest of your day and God bless you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. So that was... Major Williams, who is running for governor in California against Gavin Newsom. And he's a breath of fresh air. I think you guys would all agree. He has some really amazing hometown values. He's obviously doing this for the right reasons as far as seeing change from a local level to a state level. And he represents a citizen taking this into their own hands and becoming an advocate and getting into politics the way that we've heard multiple times that we need to do, whether your issue is medical freedom or whatever it is, we have to start taking this into our own hands and start being a part of the change. So I appreciate that. And hopefully you guys will see a lot more of him in the future. And we'll be back with another episode in a couple of days on what they aren't telling you. Thanks for listening, everyone.